You are now listening to For All Nerds Show, a podcast about geek and pop culture from the perspective of people of color. For All Nerds is hosted by DJ Ben Amin and Tatiana Keen Jones. For All Nerds Show is a member of the Loudspeakers Network, where we always say rest in peace to our founder, Combat Jack. For All Nerds Show is powered by our listeners. Everything we do from our podcasts, live events, our website are all independently funded. Please continue to support us through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash for all nerds. Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. And what's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the For All Nerds show. The Voice of the Urban Geek, the podcast where we discuss geek culture from the perspective of people of color. And as always, in the captain's chair, it's your boy, DJ Ben Amin, a.k.a. Twisting Owls III, a professor, and Mary Jane. Charlie Brownish, Halal Jordan, Meat Millhouse. I almost said one, I can't say. <laughs> Yolo Baggins, Lando Californication here in the spaceship. And that one actually relates to our guest today, but I won't say it. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But chuckling away in the co-captain's chair, as it always is. Tatiana King-Jones, the Grand Duchess of Tech, also known as Baptina Maribel, the Ting of the North, Princess Preach, J Prince of Austrians, and Sean John Luc Picard. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I've, I really need some new AKs. I'm about to think of some new good ones, man. I mean, I know I, I dropped a couple of new ones, but you're not really feeling a professor in Mary Jane, you know, so I'm going to have to let it go, I guess. Oh, it hurts when breathe. But yes, welcome, folks. Welcome to another episode of the For All Nerds Show. Like I said before, we are back once again in our state pods for what seems to be the eighth week, I want to say. <laughs> I don't count anymore. I've, as far as I'm concerned, it's been three months. The, it hasn't. I, I count, it felt I count like it. the last day I went into the city, which was like mm. the second week of March, like March wow. 8th or 9th, something like that. And I've never really been in there since. I have not even seen No Shirt in Fulton in like two months. So, and that's are. like two blocks away. I go the other way, basically. I just don't go in that direction when I go out walking because, one, there's still too many foolishness out there. And so I'm just not heading in over there. I'm good. You know? <laughs> but how was your Straight. weekend otherwise? Like, I was on IG watching the Erica Badu versus Jill Scott challenge, mm-hmm. and and I said it on Twitter. It was less of a versus and more of a yeah. full blown concert. Like they they fucking tricked us because both of them were on for like about four hours just jamming, and it was absolutely incredible. Like I felt the ancestors. I felt very moisturized. I was in that bitch. Like it was it was so much fun. Mm, well, as you speak, I'm putting a little beard butter into my beard because that's how I felt watching that. Like I needed to, you know, re-moisturize myself, you know, you can't say the water's a Lake Minnetonka, but it was definitely close to that. (laughs) It was very close to that because it was definitely great. Like I said, Jill Scott's smile can just light up the world, man. It just brightens everything. Just think about it right now makes me smile. She's stunning. Like when she smiles, I I, I likened it to the sunrise. It really is. It really is. Yes. Lord have mercy. And then Erica, you know, that Pisces wild woman, like, can't, you know, I mean, two of them just, two of the illest, and I really love to see that 
I feel like they've grown to love each other, you know, mm-hmm. because when they first started, even if y'all go back and watch Dave Chappelle's block party, when they're doing You Got Me Then, they are bad. Mm-hmm. You know, this time they were both appreciative of each other but throughout I, the whole thing. But I will also say that, and they made the point, too, that people have pitted them against each other, not necessarily them themselves. Now, yes, there is the cold competition thing that just yeah. happens. But yeah. especially now that people have constantly been like, oh, oh you know, yeah. there can only be, one, you know, the Highlander thing. So it's not yeah. necessary. Like, and, and honestly, and I'm going to be frank, Erica was high as hell on that live and it was fabulous. There was something going on there. Yeah, there I was, was wondering. Yeah, there was something going on. There. I was really, you know, in, in my in my local group chat with my boys. You know, that was the immediate thing. What's Erica on? And what I was like, because I wasn't really peeping it because I've met Erica in person and stuff, mm-hmm. and she's always kind of like, you know, she's I don't on another say high. No, yeah, she's, she's on, on another, another level. level. I get no. Yeah. I'm talking about in this live. It, it, was, it yeah. was something else going on, and it, I personally I had no problem with it. Just saying how I felt. <laughs> Erica's mom once made me uh, delete a tape of video. Erica's mom did what? Made me delete um, video. Oh, that you took of her? Yeah, it was of... Uh, I was actually recording myself DJing before her show. Okay. And I may or may not have gotten, you know, a few minutes of her walking on the stage. <laughs> and, Here we go. You know, and they, they were quite happy about that, you know, so, yeah. Of Shout course. out to her mom being on that job. It's so crazy, right? Because that's the days before people had phones with cameras in them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And artists used to be like, don't take my shit. <laughs> and now it's like, everybody and their mama is taping your shit, you know? And so you're like, why Why are you singling me out, man? Everybody yeah, that, that's how I felt that then. Especially because it was like, I was blogging at the time, you know, I have to blow your stuff up, et cetera. But, you know, people... <laughs> Certain people don't understand. You know, I get it. You're like, yo, just let me do my illegal shit. Leave me alone. (laughs) I mean, you're the fam. Quasi. Quasi, let's say, you know. Quasi is the word I like to use. Well, we've grown and moved past that, so. Yes, we have. And also, it's called an iPhone now, so. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Now, it's like everybody. That's like the funniest thing. It's like, I got so lucky and blessed and blogging, too, because I was there before all the phones and. When I first put up that footage of uh, Jay and Jeezy, that was one of the big things that made my site pop back in the day. Actually mm. introduced me to Combat Jack, mm-hmm. which led to here in a long, you know, winded story. But that was because nobody had phones. You know, if it had been like six months later, if the inauguration had happened like six months later, it probably would have been a nothing story because everybody would have had their camera phone up like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I feel you, yeah. I feel you. Um, yep. so, okay, so we were, like, we were watching Erica, we were, like you said, I don't know what week or month this is, but we in here, and you, yourself, you're gonna have some changes in your household, you're gonna have some additions to your household. Yes, I'm Not actually children. moved. <laughs> no, Everyone no. was like, oh my god, is he pregnant? No, he, no, no. I mean, is he? No, definitely not yet. I mean, you know, I'd do it, if possible, maybe, but, you know. You not, wouldn't. Not this year. You wouldn't. Uh, if you could, you wouldn't. Would you? I don't know. That's I, I asked that about men. If men could get pregnant, would they do it? I feel like no. There's a there's a lot of things in life that I would like to experience. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that's one of them, but there's certain things that I can't experience. Like as being a woman that I would, you know, I'd be like, oh, that might be interesting to find out what that's like. You know? Good luck to you. Like, is, is, is it really, like as they said, is the difference between a solo and an orchestra? <laughs> 
That's what they say to strike a vipers. Oh. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like the difference between a guitar solo and an orchestra. So I want to know, because I know what the guitar solo feels like. Okay. So I want to know what the orchestra feels like. You well, well good luck to you. But, but what are these additions we're actually talking about? Yeah, what we are actually talking about is I am planning on obtaining through some means. I will say, because I don't want to say buying because I don't like to buy uh, animals from stores or whatever. But I want to get a dog and a cat. Basically. I love the South. The dog. A dog. Can I pet that dog? Can I pet that dog? Can I pet your dog? Yeah, so I'm basically going to get a dog and a cat. And so I'm asking for suggestions on what breed of dog and cat. And there are certain restrictions. I love all dogs and cats, but I'm allergic to certain cats. I really don't know which ones. And I'm not sure if it's something I grew out of because it was like, as a young kid, I always had cats. Mm. And... Every season, I would get messed up, you know, like fall and spring, just done. And I didn't realize it because I was allergic to cats. And then later on in life, I didn't have cats, so I started having dogs, and I never had no problems again until I go to a friend's house, and then they had cats. Mm. But there was a cat who lived in this house, and he was here for years, and I had no problems at all with him. And he had long hair. I'm not sure exactly what type right. of cat he was, because he was a street cat turned house cat. So, so you're not you're not sure, but you would rather err on the side of caution and get if and it, get a, a hyperallergenic cat. Yes, because okay. I've seen I was looking them up and like the Russian blue is a type that they say is really good for that, and I really like the Russian blue. But if anyone knows any other ones, and as far as dogs, as much as I love big giant dogs, like I'm a cane corso, a mastiff. Damn. And, yeah, bro. I like those Malumutes. are monsters. Those yeah, aren't I grew dogs. up with that type of things. You know, like the first dog I ever loved was Husties and Malumutes, and my friend had an actual Malumute. Oh wow! And that dog was massive, and I loved it. You know, I loved that dog. So, um, but you know, I live in Brooklyn, fam. I can't have <laughs> no big ass massive dog in this little ass apartment. Yeah. But I don't want no little dog either. I need a dog that you know, if I'm feeding a dog, he gotta be able to you know hold down the fort. Okay. So or he or she, you know, okay. got to hold on the fort. So, she is specific. So the dog yeah. has to have enough mass to be imposing if necessary, but yes. also, you know, be cute. I guess loving too. There we you. go. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Somewhere in the middle, you know. Okay, okay. And they can be imposing to someone else, and then just cute to me because that's how I love my dogs. Does you know? the dog also have to be hyperallergenic, or is it just the cat? Nah, I, I've I've been pretty much as far as I know, I've always been around a lot of different type of dogs, and I've never had any allergies with them. Okay, and are you? And I know you said you're not really into, and thank you for not being into puppy mills and things like that. So yep. would you look in, Would you entertain adoption? Or do you yes. want a puppy and a? I want, uh, if I could adopt a puppy, I'd really like that because I'd like to raise a dog from young. Okay, you know, and then kitten yeah. too. Okay, kitten too. Yeah, just because I, you know, I like to, you know, you like to know where that animal's been and what it's been through. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I don't know what other people be doing to them poor animals. You know, and I love animals <laughs> the too way much. He said it. I gotta know where this little nigga has been, <laughs> what it's been up to. Uh, like, shout out to my man Blue. That was the cat who lived here. Rest in peace forever. That was my man Blue. You my boy. You know, but Blue came from the streets, right? And Blue became a house cat. And Blue was hilarious, yo. This man was, I mean, this No, man. this man. <laughs> if, yo, this tell, m- if the cat's from the streets, it's a man at this point. Yo, this, this man was like, yo, I, let me tell you how Blue would go and sit by the bathtub, right? He'd sit on the still of the bathtub uh-huh. and, and meow at you until you turned the water on so he could drink. Wow. Yeah. That was Blue's style. Okay. So. But I never pit Blue up, you know what I mean? Because I wasn't sure if I pit Blue up, was he going to do one of them, you know, like, because I didn't know this chat like that, you know? You want them Avon moves on you. <laughs> yeah, even though I've known him for years. Yeah, you know, do one of them, yeah, do one, nah, do one of them um, Marlo moves where, Whoa. you know, one minute he's chilling and then 
you know, you want it that way, but it's the <laughs> other way. You know, that was blue. That was straight up blue. You know, oh, you wanted it that way, but it's the other way. <laughs> okay. So now that we know, please don't give him no. Please don't give him that type of recommendation, y'all. No. If you need your recommendations, hit up Ben Amin at DJ Ben Hameen. You can also email us, email us, contact that Foral Nerds if you have any recommendations on the types of pets that DJ Ben Amin should get. Yes, word up. And thank you very much for your recommendations. And we're going to take a quick break right here, but you've already read the show title. You've probably already seen the video. If you haven't, it's right now, you know, live. Or semi-live, quasi-live, <laughs> on twitch.tv slash for all nerds. Make sure you're subscribed over there. Make sure you're following us because there are so many major things happening over there. We keep telling y'all, you know, we are in the middle of this crazy new world. And so we are bringing you a new way to experience the show. It's not just audio. It's visual. It's all kind of things. You can peep me DJing. We're playing some game shows. There's actually a poll that you might still be in the inner right now on at DJ Ben Amin, right now running, where I was asking, you know, what would you like to see on our Twitch channel? That's twitch.tv slash for all nerds. And on it right now, and after the break, double up, the one and only Damon Lindelof Yo. is here on the mother effing spaceship again. Ting. And we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Professor Brandon Obunu, a scientist who studies genetics and epidemics. And when I'm not doing long division, I'm listening to For All Nerds. Hey, yo, this is Danny Lohr. And this is Vida Ayala. And we are Twin Speaks. And when we are not writing Ironheart or James Bond, we are listening to For, For All, All Nerds. Hi, my name's Genevieve King, and I play Jackie Veda on Netflix's Lock and Key. When I'm not cooking up new recipes in my kitchen, then I'm listening to For All Nerds. Hey, everybody. This is Peter Ramsey. I am the director of Rise of the Guardians and one of the directors of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I like to listen to For All Nerds with Tatiana and the great Ben Amin. Hey, this is Hiro Karangawa, actor and playwright. And you are listening to For All Nerds All The Way. Hi, this is Lexi Alexander, and I'm a filmmaker and a writer. And when I'm not playing with my vintage toys and feeding myself and my dog, then I'm listening to For All Nerds. Hey, what's up? This is Otto Asando. And when I'm not on television and movie sets, I am listening to For All Nerds. And what's up, y'all? And welcome back to this episode of the For All Nerds Show. Today, as always, is a very special day. I mean, every episode is very special, but this one, I promise you, is going to be legendary because we have a returning guest, someone who I, I mean, honestly, I can't even believe that we had him on the first time, and now he's back again. You know, you might know him from a little show called Lost, uh, Crossing Jordan, all the way back to Nash Bridges, you know, Cowboys and Aliens, Prometheus, Star Trek Into Darkness, Tomorrowland, Leftovers for HBO. 
something we all know and love around here, a little show called Watchmen. Let's all welcome the one and only Damon Lindelof to the spaceship tonight. Yay! Always an honor to be aboard. I can't believe you <laughs> asked me back. Thank you. I, 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 I feel honored. I appreciate the squid hat that you have on the shelter. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. We had these made, obviously, well before the pandemic because Looking Glass has a squid shelter. But uh, mm. people think that it's some people are like, uh, oh, is that the coronavirus on your on your hat? And I'm like, no, it's just a squid. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it might as well be. So. <laughs> might as well be. Both of them have devastated New York, sadly. You know? Oh, yeah. There we go. Wow. Didn't mean to go there so early, like folks. so but... dark. Man, I mean... Yeah, so much for small talk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's so dark. I mean, you know, th- this just brings up, like, this, uh, this <laughs> question I just had for you. Like, how weirded out are you, Damon, that I just feel like life is not imitating art, particularly your art? Or do you just feel uniquely prepared for all of this foolishness that's happening? I'm completely... I'm uniquely unprepared for all this. Uh, all this <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I think that our culture has been really interested in the end of the world for the, the past 5,000 years. Mm-hmm. And movies and television shows and comic books are, uh, have always been flirting with that, that, the idea of those stakes, you know, the end of the world. And so when something happens in real life, that seems to uh, be moving into the end times. Uh, it's not like we predicted it. It's just sort of like people were throwing up their hands going, see, this is what I was talking about. Um, <laughs> I, it, is, it is definitely strange to see people walking around in masks. But yeah. I think the context in which we used it on Watchmen was <clears throat> entirely different than the one that we're seeing it demonstrated out, out in the world now. Um, and obviously The Leftovers was a show where 2% of the world's population abruptly disappeared. And so it was certainly strange in the, in the early days of the coronavirus that, um, that people were saying, well, let's just, you know, let's get herd immunity. It's going to kill 2% of us, but that, that's so that the other 98% of us can survive. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that was Tom Parada's book that had nothing to do with me. So I, bl- I blame him. <laughs> I like how you pass off the blame. Yeah. Shift the blame. <laughs> yeah, real quick. To the left. I love it. I love it. I've got, I've got I'm not Nostradamus. I just adapt <laughs> Nostradamus. As you should. But Leah, you were, I mean, I've seen your Instagram post and you know, you had the one jokingly about like the cops are now wearing masks. Like we see cops wearing masks. So and there's a lot of stuff in Watchmen that comes up in our world already, even from the book to, you know, what you adapted and the, all the changes you made, everything, the story you chose to tell. But did you think that it would be so prescient? Like, did you think that right now, like, a, I mean, not not even a year, like not even a year later, yeah. cops and masks, et cetera, et cetera? Not, not in a million years. And, <laughs> and I think that, you know, if we if Watchmen hadn't been released when it was, for example, it came out in October of last year, but let's just say mm-hmm. we made it, but nobody had seen it yet. You couldn't put it on the air now and okay. the masks wouldn't have the same power. They'd be mm. the, the meaning of seeing someone in a mask has totally been transformed by what's happening culturally. It's been, it's normalized. And I think that when you think about Watchmen, which is all about the, 
you know, the emotional idea behind masking is that it conceals and reveals at the same time. Um, you know, the mask that you choose is a reflection of your trauma, but it also can be used by law enforcement as a way of um, erasing accountability, which is something that we're dealing with on a daily basis uh, culturally um, every day in America and have been for as long as America has existed. But I think, you know, never more so than, you know, the last five years in terms of our awareness of, of that idea. But I think that the cops who are wearing masks now are doing it un under the auspices of protecting themselves um, from being contagious and from catching this disease. But I think that the, the effect of seeing a law enforcement officer whose face you can't see, you can't tell if he's smiling or if he's looking at you aggressively. It, it's like masks are not going to help the situation. Yeah, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, sen they're essential. Um, and, you know, I will just say it's a vastly complicated issue, but I think that we can all agree that there are a lot of great cops out there um, who we, who are, are forced to be in situations where they are at risk of, of getting this, getting sick. A lot of cops have gotten sick and um, they have to do what they need to do in order to protect themselves. But like, but it does strike fear into the hearts of many yeah. <laughs> to be a cop in a mask. Um, you know, uh, when you get pulled over or, or experience one on the street, certainly much more so for people do, who, who don't have the same skin color as I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know early on when when the recommendations from the government started going out about people wearing masks, lots of people of color were like, wait a minute, hold up. When I wear a mask, it looks different. <laughs> it, it comes off different. It hits different, as we say. When if I'm decided to wear a bandana mask, whereas I may be profiled and all this other stuff, when all I'm trying to do is follow the rules, I'm just trying to protect myself. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's similar in some ways in that way. It's similar to you know, what we've seen on Watchmen and and just kind of that general social discourse we've been having about how our lives are changing. So I'm curious to know what you think. Like, do you think, I mean, right now, America, as we know, is completely changing. So at, at least from a social perspective of it, do you have any thoughts about where we're going right now? That's a great question. And I, the answer is, I don't know where we're going. I mean, I think that, um, I live in LA, so I'll use an earthquake mm -hmm. metaphor, which mm -hmm. is when there's an earthquake here, you feel your house shake and then, and then it, and then it stops shaking and you can go and you can assess the damage and there may be some aftershocks, but you can sort of understand like what, what broke and what didn't break. And then you turn on the television or go on the internet and you see that the epicenter was, you know, 10 miles away and that it was, it was a 6.2 magnitude quake on the Richter scale. Right now, I feel like we're in the midst of an earthquake, but we don't know where the epicenter is. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the magnitude of it on the Richter scale is. We don't know how long it's going to last. And that's created, you know, I'd, I'd say like our default position is really confusion. Uh, mm -hmm. we, look to the, we look to the past, particularly the pandemic of, of 1918, the Spanish flu pandemic, which was a century ago. So the way that people received information, the way that we, whether or not we trusted our government, um, you know, the idea that things were happened, you, you got your information much more on a local level than on a federal level. You trusted the information that you were getting, mm. uh, you know, um, all of those things are completely and totally up in the air. And as we've learned the pandemic, 
you know, is affecting different people entirely differently. And so this thing that we, for example, that we call the economy, you know, mm. Wall Street doesn't seem to be suffering that much, but, you know, unemployment is, is a depression level era, uh, uh, um, rates. And so I think that the economic consequences um, uh, and the imbalance in our society, not just in the United States, but worldwide is probably going to increase. The, the virus feels like it has illuminated and magnified and made more clear, shined a light on uh, all the all the inequities that we've been talking about. They're impossible to ignore now, um, but I'm not sure that that information is going to change society for the better. I hope it does. Um, you know, I hope it does, but I'm I'm cynical. Mm. Wow. Oh, um, rightfully so. Rightfully so. <laughs> I mean, we're we're in a Western society. Like, first of all, like you you can barely half of these people you can barely get them to wear a mask, even though you're telling people the purpose of it is to protect your fellow person on the street, and that is for some Karens out there considered oppression. So, you know. Oh right, yeah. Oh, the Karens. <laughs> Well, there I, was a Kathy today, and I was just so amazed oh that her name was actually Kathy. I was like, just, you know, how perfection could that be? You know, and I know she spelled it with a K. Like, yeah. I know, you know, yeah. maybe no, three mean, of them. I mean, I, 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 just, I just get the cynicism. Like, I, I get it. Like, but I, I'm really, I, I don't know. It's like I, I get the cynicism, but I also have, like, this glimmer of hope that, you know, maybe death will be enough to make people change their tune and change their ways. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Well, I, I never, I never give up hope, but you mm. know, like, uh, again, I know that I'm preaching to the converted, but it's like, it's easy for me to be hopeful. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, and so it's, it, 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 it almost feels, you know, obnoxious to, for me to say like, but look at all the people get coming out on their balconies and applauding. It's like, I don't have any skin in the game, you know? Right. And I'm just saying this because I was deeply moved by some of the healthcare workers who are basically like, you know, by calling me a hero, you're actually dehumanizing me. Um, mm. Like, and this is my job. This is what I have to do. A hero runs into a, a burning building um, when they're not a firefighter, <laughs> you know, mm. like it's their job to and, and and they're and they're living they don't have the luxury of saying i'm not going to go into work today mm-hmm. um and and so i i think that like it's 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 really expanded um you know uh my vision to some degree and, and i hope that we emerge from this better than we were when we went into it um and i i you know i, I i'm not cynical about that i just um you know I uh, I feel like I'm seeing sometimes an entirely different reality than other people are seeing, and that you know the reality should be a, an empirical, subjective thing. <laughs> we shouldn't be having arguments about whether or not the coronavirus is a threat. <laughs> right? You know, like we're you know that's that's not an argument that people should be having. We can have an argument about how much of a threat it is, but I don't know. It's it's crazy making. Yeah. Oof. Well, one thing you said um, on the last episode about Watchmen was that America is in the, and I love this quote, it's America is in the midst of a very intense and painful reckoning, much more painful for people of color. White people are being dragged, kicking and screaming into the reckoning. 
And that felt like the why now for Watchmen. And like I said, it's one of my favorite quotes that we've had on the show. But my question is, like, and this is something I've been pondering lately, even ever since this started, is like, how one, how much more kicking and screaming are we going to have to deal with? And is there like hope for that Star Trek future? You know, because that's what I've, I've been thinking about a lot. I know that on Star Trek, hella bad things happened before they get to the Federation. Yeah. So I'm like, is this the bad thing that's trying to start us on that path? Or is it going to be more kicking and screaming? Well, I think that there is going to be kicking and screaming, but I don't necessarily see kicking and screaming as a bad thing, especially mm. if, at the, if it, at the end of it, you know, you you have an epiphany or, or revelation. I think that the kicking and screaming is this, you know, it's this red pill idea where, you know, I'll speak nerd language um, because it's the, it's our, it's our shared language, but it's sort of like, there's that scene in the matrix where Joe Pantoliano is sitting down with Keanu Reeves and they're eating steaks. And Joe Pantoliano is basically saying, (laughs) I, you know, I wish that I'd never swallowed that damn pill because I know this isn't a real stake, you know, but the reality is, is he's seen the truth and, and the truth is the idea of like knowing that you're actually like, um, like a bald fetal like human that is hooked up to all these robots that are sucking your life energy. Mm-hmm. You don't want to know that is true because it's not as, it's, it's, a, it's a subpar existence than the one that you're leading, but something has always bothered you in the world that you're living, you have to have these blinders on. So in the process of putting the blinders off, I mean, look at what happened with Ahmad Aubrey, which, which is like, that was months ago, but you needed, you know, particularly white people needed to see it, you know, and suddenly it's going everywhere on Instagram and, um, and, and the ball finally moves because to know it, right. Like, I think if you ask most white people, if I told you the story that, that, uh, that a young African-American man was jogging through this neighborhood and then he was gunned down in cold blood by two guys, two white guys who chased him in a pickup truck. I don't think anyone's going to go, that doesn't happen in America. You know, Mm. um, they're going to say, well, there must've been a good reason for it. Um, because that's what they want to, that's what they want to cling on to. Mm. Then you see it and you realize your brain starts to go, there is no good reason. And then you have to reconcile what, what it means to be living in a country where that can happen and not only where it can happen, but those two guys can literally, they're not, they're not only not arrested, they're not brought down to the police station for questioning. There's no charges, nothing happens. So if Sean King doesn't, you know, doesn't basically amplify that message and get it. And so it starts popping up in, you know, in suburban white Facebook feeds, you know, then there is no justice. And, and that's what I'm talking about kicking and screaming, which is, and so do you want, are you going to look at that as a one-off and you feel good about calling the local DA uh, or are you transformed? You know, so now, now it's Brianna Taylor, right? It's a month after what happened to her. And so are you, are you activated now or do you go back to sleep? Mm. And, and that's what I'm talking about kicking and screaming, which is you have to leave, you have to leave the comfortable, the comfortable cocoon that you have been ensconced in, in order to see these things. And then it becomes incredibly overwhelming. And there's all sorts of reasons not to do, not, not to engage in them because it was just easy. Your life was easier before that happened. Yeah. Um, and that's, 
that's a hard process to go through. I don't think that anybody should be patted on the back or commended for seeing the truth. But at the same time, it's, it's an incredibly hard truth because as, as I think that I said the last time that we spoke, Cord Jefferson, uh, um, one of the incredible writer producers on Watchmen, he said, equality feels like imbalance. And mm-hmm. he said, white people want, you know, well-intentioned white people want to bring people of color up so that we're all equal. But what they don't realize is that the teeter-totter is actually balancing. And so as they are coming up, you feel like you are losing power. And the process of, of that feeling of losing power, seeding power, that's the kicking and screaming. And mm. I went through it myself on, on Watchmen, where it's sort of like I went into it with a willingness to seed power when it actually started to happen. I was like, I do not like being out of control. You know, mm, I'm used right. to I'm used to being in charge. What does it what does it feel like to not be in charge? It doesn't feel great, but once it's over, once you've moved through the kicking and screaming part, your body relaxes. And then, you know, and then you're living it closer to the truth than you were before. And that unsettling, nagging feeling of I have to ignore this, keep walking, don't look, keep walking, just keep the blinders on. That's gone and there's relief in that too. But it does make you more cynical. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and and I just wanted to jump in because I just wanted to. You brought up something that that just reminded me of, you know, that idea of the Sean Kings and the rest of them who share this information. Like you said, on it shows up in some white person's Facebook feed. That my 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 major problem with just that approach is that it's this constant stream of violence against black bodies. Mm. And that is constantly being used to say, oh, well, yes, it's real. Look at this. Look at what's happening. You see this this lynching or this and that. And and, and again, this is not towards you personally, Dame. This is just that how this machine seems to keep working, that nothing seems to matter or is real until people see it. Okay, but how much violence against black bodies do we need to see? How much trauma porn, how much violence porn do we need to see against black people for you to understand, for you to say, okay, this is actually happening. So I, I just wanted to make that point that, that that's something that personally has bothered me. And even people who, who use that as a currency to, to disseminate information, I, I have a problem with that. And even, uh, yeah, and even to jump in there, because we talked about this on Watchmen when we first met, because we hadn't finished the season, so I didn't know anything. But I know like after I saw the first episode the first time, I was like, man, F this show. You know, it wasn't until I saw the rest of the episodes that I started being like, oh, okay, all right, I see where they're going. I can deal with this. But when I saw the first episode, I was like, hell no. Like, no way do you use, you know, Tulsa like that and have, you know, the dragons and all that. And we talked about all this. And now that I've yeah. seen the entirety of the show, I think. <laughs> but it was, see, and the thing about Watchmen is, like, like I, the, 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 the intro, obviously, that first episode was very especially for you, Ben, I mean, for your, with your background from where you're from, that was very mm-hmm. deep. But what we come to recognize after continuing watching the show is it wasn't about gratuitous violence against black bodies. That wasn't no. the point. That wasn't the currency to tell this story. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think that's why you were able to shift and say, oh, okay, there's something else going on with Watchmen. Yeah, there's a lot more going on with it. But even then, at the same time, I still, you know, that first episode is still hard for me. It's still very difficult. It's probably be the one I watched the least if I watched it again because that still is too. It's so close to home. Mm, yeah, and I think I I said this to you before, and if I didn't, I you know obviously a lot of time has passed, and and I've heard more responses to the show. But you are not alone. In fact, you are not even in the minority in terms <laughs> of 
having that very having that experience. Um, mm-hmm. And I I think that it's a lot to ask, you know, people that sort of hang in, basically say like we understand that this is going to be triggering. We understand that this is going to be traumatic. We understand that it might feel exploitative um, and even unnecessary, but it is essential. You're just not going to know it for another six weeks. Right. <laughs> uh, like, um, I think if we were living in a different society where you didn't like where, where you felt like you, that could be trusted and more importantly, look at who the messenger is. It's me. So I don't think you ever felt like I had malicious intent, but it certainly wouldn't have been beyond uh, reality for you to think this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, and, and you'd be right. You'd be right. I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> which, so, so I let other people talk. That's the only reason that the show is authentic. It's not like they taught me how to talk authentically. I got out of the way and let right. them talk. And so that's the only, at the end of the, at the end of the, you, you can't make an argument about whether or not that the, the the show works or the show doesn't work. It's kind it, it, it kind of, it does that, that that's all in the eye of the beholder. I'm sure there are a number of people who watch the show in its entirety and they still feel like this is uncool. Like, mm. I don't like that you did this. And I had, and I understood going in that that was a significant risk, but I decided in the past, I would not take that risk. Any I'm lost, for example, which I've been thinking a lot about lately because it's about to be the 10 year anniversary of the finale. And, um, and my, my wife and my son, my wife is rewatching the show, but my son who's 13 is watching it for the first time and I'm not watching it with them, but I can hear it in the other room. And one of the, one of the huge regrets that I have is Harold Perrineau, who's one of the greatest actors that I've ever worked with, just completely underused his talent Mm. and also did not write him as a black man, you know, just sort of like, he's just, He's just a dad and I'm so evolved that I don't see color. But Harold would say all the time, (laughs) Harold would say, if I was the only black person on this island, there would be a lot of shenanigans going on. (laughs) And I'm like, I was like, I don't want to take that risk because I could get it wrong. And if I get it wrong, it's going to be harmful. And Mm. so, and so that's the risk you take. It's not even about damage to my own reputation as a storyteller, but it, you, you guys know it could be harmful yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. And, and so, and so you go, you say, why risk it? I'll just leave that storytelling to, to people of color. White people shouldn't be telling these kinds of stories. And I was trying to reconcile that, all of that. And then like, that was, that was all that all, all sort of preceding the intention and the design behind what went into Watchmen, you know, the sort yeah. of like my compulsion and obsession with ta Coates and then listening to ta Coates on a podcast saying all these white people want to have meetings with me so that I will give them the stamp. But I, <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh shit, that's what, that's what I want to do. <laughs> shit. He just, he knows, you know, like. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> you know, oh, Damon, you know, you know, ta is like a, a really good friend of mine. Like we went to, Howard University together. I've known him since like early you days. Get so away it, from it. It's it's so it's so hilarious to me when people talk about him like that because I've known. I mean, he is that dude though. Don't get me fucked. You know that man is that dude. But like I've known him since you know way back, and he's always been that dude when it comes to writing, and he's always been super intelligent. But me and him would sit there and have these arguments over hip hop albums and stuff. So that's where I know him from. You know, and it's so funny to see him as this. Yeah. As, 
Tanahasi coats, you know. <laughs> the stamp. I love yeah. that. That's that's a that's a hilarious story because it's just like you're like, oh my god, I got so yeah. like you got found out. You're like, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and you know, you're, since you're, we're talking about Watchmen, um, last time you were on the show, like we had saw like the well, did we have finished? I don't know if we finished it or we only saw the first six episodes, one or the other. No, we yeah, we hadn't right. finished. No, we definitely hadn't finished. We, right, we seen the first six, and we we had our views and all that. And then we finished it, and the world had their views. Now that you know this is all said and done, the finale aired. What is the best and the worst reaction you got to the series, or the even the finale itself? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm being honest when I say like I don't I don't think there are best reactions and worst reactions. Mm-hmm. I think that. Um, there, there's obviously a, a sliding scale of them. I think that m- most everybody sort of understood what it was we were trying to say. And the best reaction is just to s- circle back on what we were talking about a couple minutes ago is that I heard is that I started watching with my arms tightly crossed. And then when it was over, I felt like it was worth the journey. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean, you know, that doesn't mean that I loved every single moment of it, but I feel like, you know, you, like you, sh- you showed me something that I hadn't entirely seen before. It was unexpected. Authenticity is what we're always going for. And in, in a television show where there's a character who can create worlds and, um, and glows blue and floats around and can make people's heads explode, it's, but it, it's it's hard to make something feel grounded and real and authentic alongside uh, like this massive sort of like genre convention. But you you know you mentioned Star Trek earlier, and that's a perfect example of y- using genre to basically tell stories about society as it exists now, or a, maybe even be aspirational. Yeah. Watchmen is a cynical text. You know, um, the Old Testament is very cynical. Uh, uh and pragmatic and realistic. That's why it feels real. And so this idea of like reading those 12 issues and starting to understand that the good guys weren't going to win. And then, and then kind of being confused about who the good guys even were, you mm-hmm. know, like Adrian Veidt does save the world. So you're, and Rorschach is going to expose him. So is, was Rorschach the bad guy all along or are these ideas of good guys and bad guys in general, completely and totally not true to form it's yeah. it seemed to argue the idea of like anybody who puts on a mask is some someone we should worry about maybe we're worried about them because they're dangerous maybe we're worried about them because they're traumatized like yeah. but this is not a this is not a healthy behavior for people to be engaging in and um and so i f- i feel like people got it and to me there, there were there were some reviews or even think pieces after the the nine episodes aired that were you know negative on the show, but they right. were so well reasoned. You know, <laughs> I was basically like this person just basically wrote like eight pages about why it, the show didn't work, but that's cool. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I would rather have eight pages on why the show didn't work than one page on why it did. You know, I mean, mm. people went deep and yeah. like that because we went so deep in our process. It took so long to make this thing. And we, there, we are constantly running the paradox of, of approaching it with confidence, but also second guessing ourselves, asking every day, is this the story we should be telling? Are we allowed to tell this story? It, are, we, are we getting it right? 
like, and then, and then being like, I think so. <laughs> and then moving forward, because if you're shaky, if you are insecure, if you're doubtful, the audience can smell it on you. Okay. And, but, it, but there's all, but there's also an arrogance in coming in and basically being like, you know, if I had come to New York Comic Con, you know, when I met you guys that night and I had come out on the stage and I was just like, guys, you are about to watch the best television show of your lives. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you can't, you can't, you can't come at it that way either. I really didn't know. And I, you know, now, now I feel I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of the work that was done. Um, uh, just because of the conversation around it. And it feels like it's, it connected in some way, but as it was happening and even as it was airing, I, I wasn't sure. Um, mm. And I think that mm -hmm. that was what kept me sane. Um, you know, it's important to constantly second guess yourself as long as you're still moving forwards, as long as you don't use that as an excuse to stop. Indeed. Mm. Indeed. And you guys haven't stopped. And because you haven't stopped, you actually got that Peabody nomination. So congratulations on that. For oh, Watchmen. thanks. Yeah, that's a cool one. That's really, really cool. Um, what was your first thought when you heard the news? I deserve it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's super exciting. I mean, the Peabody is, it's, it's a very cool award because it's um, like they they single out TV shows, but also broadcast journalism, podcasts, children's programming. So I've been fortunate enough. We won one for lost and we also won one for the leftovers. And so you go to that, that show and you're basically surrounded by like, you know, legit, like brilliant Pulitzer prize winning a journalist. And, um, and I, was, it, so it feels like that's a cool little corner for them to appreciate, um, watchmen. But I think more than anything, um, you know, the, the, the Peabody nomination came in the midst of the pandemic. And I think that, you know, it was a, it was a bright spot in the day for sure. But it's like you start to have a little bit of perspective about like, you know, these um, these WTFs, these, uh, yeah. you know, these, um, uh, you know, these trophy sets. Um, and um, and it's a it's a it's a total honor. But. But I also think, like, how excited am I allowed to be over getting a Peabody nomination when, you know, 3,000 people died today? Um, mm. and, and so the coolest thing about Watchmen as it relates to the awards circuit is that, like, um, a single episode, um, This Extraordinary Being, the sixth episode, it was nominated for a GLAAD award. It was nominated mm. for an NAACP award. Um, and, uh, and, and so like the idea that I would ever be involved in something that would be nominated for both of those things, yeah. um, you know, and that was, a, a you know, uh, I, I went to the image awards that was about a month before, or maybe six weeks before the, uh, the, the shutdown. And so like, that's my image. I, I think award shows are going to change moving forward for at least yeah. the foreseeable future. And I'm just like, you can't take those things for granted. And I really appreciate, you know, being in that room and sitting at that table and, you know, having my tuxedo on and being surrounded by so many other incredible talents. Like, yes. so I, I, I have, um, I have a lot more perspective on it now and, um, and it's, it's super cool. Mm. That's what's up. Uh, another thing on Watchmen and you were talking about this earlier is that you broke one of the rules in writing to write what you know. 
and you reached out to other creators to tell a story that you couldn't have told on your own. So what was something you would say that you learned personally while creating the series? Um, well, this is sort of an oversimplification, but it gets at the core of your question, which is like, don't be afraid to ask. Um, I think like, again, for someone in my position after 15 years in the business and, and the last, you know, as a, being perceived as a showrunner, there's like an expectation that I know what I'm doing. And so like there's this, there's this sort of adage, fake it until you make it, which kind of works in a lot of scenarios, right? Because the only way to learn is to kind of do it. Like nobody's an expert and you can't gain expertise until you try something and there's going to be a lot of failure on your, on your way. But like, particularly in this instance, there were a lot of writers and producers starting in the writer's room, but then, you know, even as we started getting into the production of the show, who were younger and less experienced than I was. And so it's kind of, it takes, it was a bit of an ego hit for me to turn to them and basically say to them, I don't know, you know, do do you know? Because (laughs) people get scared when the person in the position of leadership, like I don't, you know, I am no fan of Donald Trump's by any stretch of the imagination. And I I could go on for the next five minutes about how, how not a fan I am, (laughs) but I don't, but I don't want him to get up at that podium and say, guys, I got to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Oh, so you don't want him to say that. I don't want him to say that. I want, I want even, even though that's the truth or I, but what I do want him to say is I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not an expert on viruses. So I'm going to, I'm going to actually step away from the podium and I'm going to let these guys talk or, you know, and so that's, that's real leadership. And Mm. And, and so I had to get comfortable with saying, I don't know when I didn't know. Um, and I also had to know when to back off of ideas because mm. I can really, I can really get stuck on something if I feel like I'm right. <laughs> and, and then, but you don't, sometimes if you fight and fight and fight, you can convince others, they can start to see things your way they're not giving in. They're actually understanding. Then there are other times when you're like, everyone, you just look around the table and they're all looking at you the same. And then they start looking at each other and their expression seems to be like, are you going to tell them? (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, (laughs) like I should shut the fuck up right now. (laughs) And, uh, but it takes experience to know when to give up. Um, Mm. because giving up is not something that I ever want to do. Uh, but there's, it's necessary. Mm. All right. I mean, this throws into that. Something else we talked about last time is that you personally want to hire people who challenge you. And I've been thinking about this a lot since you were here, because sometimes I feel personally in my experience in Hollywood and just online and social media everywhere, I can be extremely challenging. And I try and not even like get into arguments with people on Twitter, or even if I feel like the other day, I won't name them, but a uh, bit director, I read an interview with them and I was like, Oh my God, you know, like, what are you talking about, dude? And I wanted to go on Twitter and just, you know, say, yo, this is all not, but 
that person might be in a position of power where I, you know, would come into conflict or wouldn't yeah. be able to get hired or something. So how do we make it where POC and un- other, other rep- underrepresented people can speak freely? Man, I wish I knew the answer to that question because we, we, we all have to acknowledge that the playing field is not even and that the rules are not the same. And for yeah. a person of color to challenge to challenge inside that system, they're going to get all sorts of adjectives stuck on them that are not going to be stuck on a white person. Same, same with a woman, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the whole, like when you say the word ambitious and it's attached to a white man, good. If you, if you use the mm-hmm. word ambitious and you stick it on a white woman has an entirely different, watch your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's an right. entirely different connotation. So the first thing that I would say is like, be, you know, is name, understand the coding. Um, And like, it's the last thing in the world that I would ever say to you is like, be deferential. Like, Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's not, that's not the answer societally. And it's not the answer in terms of success in the industry. But I will say like, the people that I was personally attracted to in terms of the people that I hired on Watchmen or more in in general that I want to collaborate. It's sort of like, it's really all in, in how you challenge. Mm -hmm. And, Uh. and, and the difference is it's not a, it's not about the language or the bearing or the level of intensity. I like intensity. It's really about coming from a place of, I trust you, but I'm going to challenge you. Mm. And that is a different thing than I do not trust you and I'm going to challenge you. Mm. And so like the first thing that I would just basically say is let's just take this individual who gave an interview that, that made you have the response that you did. Uh, First off, I'd say, I don't know if you heard them giving it or you, it was written down. No written. Yeah. So like even giving them the benefit of the doubt, let's just assume assume the context is exactly the way that you understood it to be like Mm -hmm. that you understand entirely what they said. The question that I would ask you is, do you trust that person? You know, like is, is, is what they said disappointing to you because you were kind of like, Oh, I thought this person was better than that. No. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'd say like, that's probably a person best avoided. Don't go and work with that. person. (laughs) Seek out, seek out the people who are worthy of your trust, you know, work with them until you're ready to be the boss yourself. And then like, this is all about getting POCs in, in positions of power. And that's not just about being showrunners. It's about running networks and studios. You know, I've been, I, I landed in Los Angeles in 1994. It is 2020. And I have seen one, two, sorry, two um, people of color as either the head of a studio or a network in all of that time across all the studios and networks. I'm talking the big boss. Like, yeah, yeah. and so, and, and that was, and there was still a high degree of tokenism. It wasn't like yeah. they, they were, you know, they, they were in a position where they could start hiring other uh, people of color. It was still like they were an island and they, they, they were an island in the sea of white people. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that's a problem. And everyone in the industry is like, that's a problem. No one quite knows how to solve it. Um, other than, you know, start at the bottom, which is basically like I started at the bottom. I was given an opportunity to be a writer's assistant, you know, to be an assistant on an agent's desk and then a writer's assistant, put in, et cetera, et cetera. And so 
I'll just say like, as an employer now, I basically say like, I have to, I, I have to start creating job opportunities for people of color. They're harder to find than white people for all the reasons that we're well aware. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and, but once you find them, like, uh, you know, they're just as qualified, if not more than any, than any person who's not white, you can't be discriminatory. There's, there's laws and people yelling about reverse affirmative action, et cetera, et cetera. You have to drown that shit out and just, um, and just do it. But, um, like the short answer to your question is like, there are people who are worthy of your trust mm-hmm. and they still say stupid shit. <laughs> I was one, I would like to think myself as one of them. I say less stupid shit now than I did five years ago, but I still say it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, if I, if I emerge from the situation of Watchmen thinking like, oh, I got this now, then you should not trust me. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> situation of Watchmen going like, I'm better. I'm better off. I know more than I did before. Yeah. Still a long way to go. Yeah. That worked. So I'm going to do more of that. And like that, that's the process. But like there, there are a lot of, we talked about my cynicism before. There are a lot of well-intentioned individuals in positions of power out here um, and in New York who are worthy of trust Mm -hmm. and just, I would say, see through the stupid shit that they say. Let them know somehow that you trust them, because if you let them know that you trust them, you don't have to be deferential. They'll really listen to the challenge. Mm. My fear is that if the challenge comes without the trust, they just write you off. Mm-hmm. They don't even hear it. They ignore it. And in fact, yeah. they, they calcify. Yeah. Mm. It, and is... it shouldn't be that it shouldn't be that way. You know, I'm not, this is all under the, all, all under the acknowledgement of the rules are different for you. The playing field is, is slanted. Um, acknowledging that I'm just trying to, to, to give you a productive answer that isn't, you know, be deferential. You cannot yep. be deferential. You yeah. have to challenge. Yeah. yeah, no, and I'm I'm definitely not deferential still, but like you said, I knew the person who went out before I read the interview. They weren't uh, somebody I could really trust in that regard, and so when I read it, it just more confirmed my fears. I was like, oh yeah, you know, you know, another one, like yeah. So, but there are people like even before we met, you know, I, I like I even though I can tell you, I definitely had problems with um how Michael and Walt were written on <laughs> Lost. You know, Lost was such a show to me that, you know, that that's why even when I told you when we when we ran into your Comic-Con that night, I was still kind of upset about the first episode of Watchmen. But I was like, this motherfucker made the constant, you know, like, so I've got to give him that. You know? like, I, yeah, I, I got I to give him that first, you know, like he did do that. So, you know, there has to be some trust. What I love about our interaction was that you were able to tell me that (laughs) I felt like I had, we were strangers, but I felt like I had your trust. And then we took a selfie together. (laughs) Welcome to America. Welcome to America. That's right. It's sort of like, (laughs) there's um, Hassan Minaj has, he's a comedian, a journalist and he has this, um, clip where he's standing outside yeah, of some Patriot event Act. yes yeah. oh yeah and uh, yeah he has a he has a clip where he's standing outside of an event and someone from his neighborhood comes over and starts screaming on him and telling him how he's wrong about the politics and this and that and barking at him and he's like your parents would be disappointed in you 
da-da-da-da-da, and then they take a selfie together. <laughs> I mean, what would this nation be without the discourse, right? I mean, yeah. what, do you, what do you mean? You know what, Damon, you said something that now is, it's kind of, okay, it's seeping into what we're doing and what's happening now, the current state of things. So you talked about the slanted playing field. That playing field for, for people of color versus white people in Hollywood it has always been slanted. And now it's even inverted a little bit because now you have a situation where the, you know, writers' rooms are moving online. People um, people have, at least for the last few years, have had access to actually do productions on their own. So, you know, like even us right now, we're doing a production now. We have our equipment. We have our, you know, all this stuff running. Uh, at this point, does the future of Hollywood look bright to you? Like, do you see it going in a better direction? What does it look like to you? I, I do. I do think, you know, for, A, for all the reasons that you just said, like that the, that the tools now exist to, to create pretty high production value content without having to go through the process of being told by the people who are traditionally financing that stuff what you can and cannot do. And when you don't have to convince someone to give you money, you end up getting pretty great art. I think, mm. of, you know, like... That's that's something that history has has has, has kind of um, has has kind of proven, and I think that also the idea of like, you know, this DIY approach, you're able to show proof of concept versus having to try to explain to some someone what something's going to look like before it actually exists. So so that gives me a lot of hope, and then and then also I just think like the resources and information that is at, at everybody's fingertips. You, you know, I went to film school. And um, uh, at NYU, and and one of the things you do in film school, in addition to making movies, is you watch a lot of movies and you talk about them. And then, and I went in 1991, and so there were video cassettes, and some people had laser discs. But like, just to get access to movies was something that you had to physically leave your house and go find it, like mm-hmm. in a video store. And if it was like a weird, obscure French foreign language film, you like you had to go to a specialty store and they might or might not have that video cassette. Right. Someone might have rented it. Now you can literally just like someone can tweet about a movie and you can just stream it. And so I think that the collective conscious the the collective consciousness, the artistic consciousness, what we have access to, you know, what we can see mm-hmm. and the immediacy of it is making us where we're like this big collective AI brain. Again, to go back to the Matrix, it's like when Neo's like, I know Kung Fu. It all just like gets downloaded into his brain instantaneously. Now, the experience of learning Kung Fu is lost on Neo. But yeah. I, I think that like this idea of, of being self-taught, you know, look at Tarantino, for example, who's one of my favorite filmmakers. He didn't go to film school, but he watched so many movies. And so when he started making his food, it had all these crazy ingredients that didn't weren't necessarily designed to play with each other, um, uh, but then did. And so he advanced the form by actually remixing the form. And you know, he would Tarantino never would have made Reservoir Dogs if he hadn't worked in a video store. And mm-hmm. so that that part of it um, makes me very very hopeful. And then you know, I um, like. The other thing that gives me hope is is what we were talking about before, which is like, I think that there's there's a lot of good intention. And I think that the, this idea, when I came into the business again, yeah. there were four major television networks 
And if you couldn't get one of those television networks, yeah, HBO existed, Showtime existed, but they would only do like two or three dramas a year each. Um, like if, if, if they passed, then you, you were done. But now there's so much like mm. there and, and it's become very niche. So like, and, and, and the metric for success, um, uh, um, it, like more fringy shows like Pen15 or David Makes Man or like, you know, you don't need to get five million people to watch these shows for them to get a second season. It just has to be someone's favorite show. Mm-hmm. And like, so there's a little bit more of an artisanal approach to success. And I think a, a much wider range of, of what people will um, roll the dice on that, mm. that, um, you know, makes, if, if you just look at the shows that were like, you know, on the Peabody list or the AFI list aggregators of like, here are, and you, you go like, Oh, this is a pretty cool. These shows all came out in the last year, you know, like unbelievable is another show where I mentioned is like, if you go in and pitch it and go like, this is a story about sexual assault where the victim is basically not believed by the cops. They think that she made it up mm-hmm. and it's, it's an eight episode exploration of her story. Like a decade ago, no one's making that look at like when they see us talk about kicking and screaming, by the way, it's sort of yeah. like everyone knew that the central park five were innocent, but it's like, do we really need to see that? Cause that's going to make me feel bad. It's going to make me feel bad that these guys, we're, we're forced to, you know, we're forced to confess and then subsequently, you know, were charged and, 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 and years of their lives were stolen. I don't, I don't, you know, I, why would I want to watch that when I can watch Fleabag, but people watched it, you know, and it's, it's, and it's incredible and it's being celebrated. And so I'm not entirely sure that, 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 that would have been made a decade ago. Yeah. Um, and and so I, I I I do feel like a lot of great stuff is being made right now. Probably more excited about TV than movies. Mm-hmm. Um, personally uh-huh. speaking, I think good movies films are being made, but I think all the all the excitement is in in television, which is by the way, it's not even calling it TV anymore. I mean, we watch this stuff on our laptops, on our phones, you know, on our iPads. It's I don't want to call it content, but. You know, you hit the nail on the head because the other day I was writing a tweet about good TV or good shows on TV right now. And then I stopped and I said, wait a minute, it's not really television. Like, what do we call it? Like, we say streaming, I guess, but is there even a name for it anymore? And like, how do, I, I don't know. It's just, again, it's this nebulous blob of, of content that just comes down the internet pipeline. And, and I guess that's a good thing that we can't really put it in a box um, because then it kind of just allows for that free form expression. Um, but you said that, uh, you know, you're looking more forward to TV. Is there anything out right now that you're really interested in or, or any upcoming projects that you're really interested in? in? In terms of watching or in terms of... In terms of watching, yeah. In terms of you just watching as a, as a viewer. Um, I'm excited about the show Sweet Tooth that just got announced on... Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be a yeah. Netflix show. It's, a, it's an incredible comic book written mm-hmm. by this guy, Jeff Lemire. It is incidentally about a pandemic that wipes out the entire uh, the majority of the planet. Um, and then like right before the pandemic hits, um, human animal hybrids start getting born mysteriously. Um, and, uh, and it's this, it's just this incredibly emotional, powerful, like it's the end of the world told in a way that I've never seen before. And, um, uh, the comic book ran for about five years and it's, it's just, 
in, the ending is so immensely satisfying. It's so great. And mm. so I, I, I don't, I haven't seen the show, but I'm really, yeah. um, I'm really, 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 really looking forward to that one. Um, and, uh, I don't know, like I'm, I, there are shows that literally like have done their entire runs. Like I just found out that killing Eve has been back for like a month. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it's like, if a show is like super on my radar, like Rick and Morty, you know, I mm. like, I know when it's back, but otherwise like the, I just wait for the algorithm to recommend things right. to me. I, I hope I hope the algorithm recommended Little Fires everywhere to you. It's on Hulu. I haven't seen that. No, is it? That's the Kerry Washington. That's Kerry Washington. Yes, that's Reese Witherspoon. Uh, uh, Anika Noni Rose. It's, it's a whole an amazing, amazing ensemble cast of, of characters. But I, I highly recommend you take a look at that. Um, little Fires everywhere. On and Hulu. that's just a limited series, right? It's open and shut. Um. Well, it they complete their first we don't know <laughs> we don't know i personally think it's wrapped up so nicely that it should just stay as it is but there there are calls for a second season so who knows much like much like your show watchmen <laughs> unless you know unless you did you know i have any idea for that <laughs> um that that uh, second season uh but um you know you know if you you know want to drop a exclusive on here we wouldn't mind <laughs> no, <laughs> see, this is over. This is over. See, we. This is funny because people like for months after your interview, Damon. People kept asking. They're like, "Okay, but season two, right?" And I'm like, yeah. look, <laughs> "Look, look, you got to understand this. This is kind of a self-contained story. Like, did you listen? Like, did you really watch which, what, what we watch? Because it's a self-contained story. That being said, people have said things like, "Well, why don't we go into uh Why don't we go to the backstory of uh, you know?" either what happens after she gets the powers. I'm like, that's a season two, sir. Then they say, okay, well, what if we go into the backstory of some of these characters, like Looking Glass? Now that's something I said, aha, I would be interested in something like that. Would you even entertain anything like that? I, I, I feel like I would, I'm not saying anything new here, but I would love to see another season of Watchmen, not a second season, but another. And I'm, mm. by, by, so I'm making like, you know, this idea of Watchmen, what it is, I hope that our season basically demonstrated that you can call something Watchmen and it, it, it needs to have a relationship with the thing that preceded it, but it can actually introduce entirely new ideas and, um, and expand the tent somewhat. And I think that the way you keep it fresh is for, from someone who came from comic book culture, uh, not writing it, but reading it that a writer and an, and an artist would basically come on and they would do an iconic run of a, of a, of a character. So, you know, Alan Moore um, famously did that on Swamp Thing and uh, Frank Miller did it with the dark Knight, And then he did a, an epic run on daredevil as, mm. as, uh, as you know, Ta-Nehisi did an incredible run on, <laughs> on black Panther, yeah. you know? And so, but these characters pre-existed the writer, but then the new writer comes in and reimagines with a huge um, uh, uh, sort of adherence to canon, but presents a new way of looking at that character that that kind of changes things moving forward. And so all I ever said is I shouldn't be the one running the next season of Watchmen, but mm. uh, but I would never st- you know I actually invite others to um to 
to go for it. And anything that I can do, anything, any way that I can use my power and influence to make that happen, Mm. I will. But I, I think that it's, you know, I would love to see someone else's spin on it. And I, Mm. you know, I say this because I know that like Fargo is a great show and Noah Hawley is doing Fargo right now, but the Cone brothers created Fargo and it feels Mm. like it's a love letter to the Cone brothers, but he also did his own thing. And, and, so that basically means five years from now, someone else can do Fargo and they may have loved what Noah did, but they're going to be different than Noah and they're going to look at it through a, a slightly different lens. And that's more people should do that. I mean, you know, look at the Batman movies. Uh, Chris Nolan did his run. He's done with Batman. Now Matt Reeves is going to come in and do his run. What would Ryan do with it? You know, mm-hmm. like, or did he, has he already done it with, with Black Panther? Like, so I think that there's space in these myths for, for new interpretations, that's what keeps them fresh. And I just know that I'd be so tempted to do the obvious in yeah. another season of Watchmen. And I also like, it was so exciting for us to say every good idea that we had, we were doing in those nine episodes. We weren't mm-hmm. going to save anything. Um, and that's the way that you should do it. You should live every day like it's your last. And you should tell stories like at any time, like you'll run out of breath and that's the end. And so although those nine episodes were very specifically designed to have a beginning, middle and end, uh, and it doesn't mean that the things that happen next wouldn't be interesting, but I just kind of feel like, okay, I read Watchmen. I loved it for 30 years. And then I finally, you know, decided that I was going to try to adapt it in some way with in partnership with a bunch of other people who felt similarly. Now it's someone else's turn. Mm. Mm. That was a challenge to you guys listening and watching. This yeah. Is <laughs> it's actually a challenge to the two of you. Oh, oh. I'm oh. up for the challenge. I'm, I'm up definitely I'm, up. I'm wearing, I'm wearing the, jerk, the shirt already. I'm ready. <laughs> but, but this is also something that I wanted to ask you about because it's something that, you know, I've been battling with this myself lately. I mean, I've had, a, you know, just all kind of years personally and things since I was actually working on a show in Hollywood. But I've also come to a realization, and this isn't in an egotistical way or anything, but I just also know that Hollywood needs me, you know, because it needs people who have these ideas, who have something to say, who are people of color, who are underrepresented. But at the same time, I want to create things that I feel like are helpful to the human condition. And then I'm also battling with the idea of, well, Hollywood wants, you know, something that's going to sell and marketable and all these other things. So... Do you have any advice for creators who are stuck like between these worlds and just want like especially P.O. I feel like POC have this problem more so where we feel like we have to say something when we create something? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, you know, uh, uh, again, the it, it comes with the acknowledgement of like what the challenge is. And, and I and I and I think that this is this is true for anybody who's kind of trying to break in. Um, is that there's like this sort of belief of um, you have to pay your dues, right? Like in one form or another. Um, and, and certainly for me, my dues paying was, you know, five years of basic apprenticeship positions before I even got a, a job as a writer's assistant. And then, and then I worked on Nash Bridges and Crossing Jordan for another four years. So those, I'm very proud of, you know, working on those shows and what I learned there, but they certainly wouldn't be perceived as, you know, like incredible pantheon quality television dramas. But 
but the idea of like, you know, you, you move into it with a perspective of patience, you know, now this is easy for me to say once again, uh, like patience is actually a weapon that is used by, um, uh, the, the people in positions of power to neutralize the power of people who don't have it, be patient, Mm -hmm. wait your turn, you know, you're going to get a chance. And meanwhile, you're getting cut in line constantly. Right. Like, so let's acknowledge that that's going to happen too. So it's sort of like, but you can't be impatient either. And it's sort of finding that balance. And what I would say, I'll give you a very specific answer to your question versus a vague one, which is like predetermine the length of your fuse. And so say, I'm going to be patient for six months. <laughs> then, then it's time to give me, you know, then it's time to move into telling the kind of stories that I need to tell or being in a position where I can be making a difference. Um, and then honor your fuse, but also tell other people how long your fuse is so that you don't spring it on them. So like if you're, if, if you're, if for example, you're interviewing for a staff writing position or a story editor position on someone's show, you basically say to them, Hey, look, I, I have a lot to bring to your show. And for the first season that I'm on the show, I'm going to do everything in my power to realize your vision. That's the perspective that I'm going into it with. But after that first year, my expectation is that I can start to kind of pitch things that you will listen to and appreciate. So I'm going to move out of a modality about servicing your vision. And, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully you'll start to hear a little bit about what mine is. And if you don't like that, then don't hire me. You know, like now what, what, what is that kind of honesty going to result in? Who knows? But like, but I can tell you that the alternative isn't going to work, you know, mm-hmm. like, right. and I think that, I always respond, particularly in interviews, to people who say, here's what I want to get out of this. I actually ask them, like, you're obviously not sitting here on my couch because you want to serve me, you know, Mm. like, so how can I serve you? Like, and people are surprised, disarmed, suspicious of that question. They feel like it's a trap. (laughs) I was going to say suspicious. (laughs) But like, but the people who answer it and, and say like, here's what you can do for me. I, I, I'm like, excellent. Like I, mm-hmm. I can work with that because that's where you get real loyalty is understanding that the loyalty has to flow both ways. You know, um, like I know that I'm in a position of power and you're in a position of, of being, you know, a subordinate, but we're still partners, you know, um, like, uh, and we can still service each other's ambitions, understanding that like I'm here because of my experience and the amount of time that I put and energy that I put into this. But I, I expect you to get something out of it too that isn't just monetary compensation or 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 the name of the show on your resume. You gotta like I want to know why you want to do the job, you know, and what I what I can do for you. Mm. Tell the truth. That's what I heard. Tell the truth. <laughs> no, it's super helpful. And I mean, everything you said during this has been really helpful because I've been, you know, like I said, I've been battling with a lot of different things. You know, I've just been, I mean, I wouldn't even say writer's block because I always have ideas. I might have a problem more so, especially when I don't have a specific deadline on me. And because I'm not, you know, working for someone right now, it, I might have problems finishing things. I've, I'm a lot easier to finish things when someone's like, okay, I need it, you know, this week. And it's like, all right, no problem. And it's done that week. 
But I also have a problem because I'm sitting on the outside, and you know, I have you know, I have people like, oh, yo, yo, get me your script, and you know, I'll get it to this person, and that person. I'm also like, ah, oh, do I, you know, I don't want to just do anything. Like I worked on a show that I really loved, you know, and I really loved what it was saying, you know, and I like things like Watchmen interest me, and things like you know, even things like a uh, Wu Tang, the show about Wu Tang last year. Yeah. I really loved that because even though it wasn't some big grand show, just what was saying the story is telling. I was very interested in. But I'm not interested in just creating just to create or creating for a check. Because that, that's like the effing worst to me. I, like, I don't ever want to be that person, yeah, who's just, you know, trying to write something so I can get this next check. Because that's just terrible. But um, one last thing I want to ask is, like, do you have any, like, you recently were talking about theme and story and all this stuff. But what's a piece of writing or creative advice that you feel that you don't hear often enough? I think throw it out is the is the piece of advice that I wish that I heard more because it's a piece of advice that was given to me and was immensely valuable and allow me to expand on it, which is some things that you work on, you should throw them out. Mm. Um, and, and other things you should keep at, but, but we all have to acknowledge that you shouldn't keep at everything. Now, how do you tell the difference? How do you tell the difference between what you should throw out and what you should keep at? It's hard for you to tell because it's all personal for us, right? When we, when we, when we embark on a new project, there's something inside us that we need to get out and that's a compulsion. Yeah. And maybe we can't quite explain why it's a compulsion, but it feels that way nonetheless. So you find four or five people, no more, um, maybe a couple less, three, three to five people who you really trust. Um, you give them that material and you say, keep at it or throw it out. Cause sometimes people in your circle, they need to be given permission to tell you to throw it out mm-hmm. all the time. Writers will give their friends their work and say, give me notes, but they skip the part of whether or not it's notes worthy, you know? <laughs> and so that part. And it's an, it's an important part and it will save you a lot of time. And I'll be honest with you. I'm a professional writer. There are things that I should throw out, you know, still, Mm -hmm. um, it like, and you get to decide by the way, all five people might tell you to throw it out. Three of them might say, throw it out. Two of them might say, keep at it, whatever you get to decide whether or not you're going to listen to them. But at least East, at least ask the question. Um, Cause some, you know, it, it, so that's, that's the throw it out advice. Yeah. It's liberating. No, that's, that's brilliant because like, I've, you know, I've been working on something so I can, you know, um, get back to work. And so everybody's like, okay, I need a spec. I need a pilot, whatever. And I had a really good pilot idea I've been working on. And in the time I was working on it, not only did I see a related series actually come on to the you know, air, I just realized this is not the story I wanted to tell, you know, and I don't even want to put this out into the world anymore because I don't want this story told. You know, if somebody else does it, that's fine, but I don't want to be responsible for putting this into the world. But it took me forever because I put so much into it. And I was like, no, you need to finish this. And then, you know, F it. Who, mm. It probably won't get made anyway. You know, you can just uh. use it as an example or whatever. But I was just like, nah, man, this ain't it. You know, it's not working on a lot of levels. And personally, I just wasn't feeling it. So that thank you for that because yeah, that's something you. I've had to learn a hard body. Like just you know, go on to something else. And, and when you do it, me. it's a relief. You know, mm-hmm. I think it is yeah. a relief. Um, you know, so yeah. 
Yeah. It's still been hard with that one because that shit is still like, it's like right on the outside still. And it's like, come back to me, come back. And I'm like, no, no, no I'm not working on you anymore. Like, you're no. not working. You know? No, but thank you for sharing that, Damon. That That's important to throw it out. Honestly, my, my, my heart quivered when you said that. I said, throw out my words. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it's uh, scary. Sometimes it comes crawling out of the garbage, though, which is one of... One of my favorite stories is Stephen King, who I worship mm -hmm. and would not be sitting yes. here talking to you if it were not for his writing. Mm -hmm. His wife, Tabitha, he, he wrote Carrie, mm -hmm. which was his first. Yep. He had written a couple of novels prior to Carrie that ended up being released as the Bachman books. Mm -hmm. But Carrie was his first hit. Yep. Um, and he threw it in the garbage. Yeah. He threw the manuscript in the garbage. And his wife... I don't. I think they were married at the time. Maybe they were just boyfriend girlfriend. She took it out of the garbage and read it, and she yep. was like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. And <sighs> if she had not, if she had not done that, we would not be talking right now. Mm. I, no. So, you know, now, so you can you the 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 advice remains: throw it out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but if someone wants to rescue it from the garbage, then have at it. <laughs> Definitely no, but no. Everyone else is said throw it out. Too. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty fantastic much, uh, advice, though. Yeah, pretty much like four out of five, I'd say. And I just know if I want to come back to it years later, maybe I will. But right now, it's just like this is not working, and I need to finish something. So it's like let this one go and finish something else. Like do it, like get it done. I could try to get Tabitha King's uh, email address. <laughs> No, because all I would do is bother her and her husband about the Dark Tower forever. <laughs> so they want, yeah. They do not want me sitting there. So please, you know, like, it's the greatest thing ever, you know. Like, yeah, it really is, man. Oh, God, yeah. that That's that's one that's still, I mean, and that's another one. Like, I would not want to work on that show, you know, no shape or form. Like, I, well, maybe, maybe, because it would be fun. <laughs> Stop lying to yourself, sir. It's fine. That's the it's paradox. fine. Yeah, it's the paradox. Because it's like the Wu-Tang show. I love it, and I can't wait for season two, and I'd like to work on it, but I also just want to watch season two and enjoy it, because I really enjoyed season one. And then I've worked on stuff, and afterwards, it, it's a different feeling. So, yes. Yeah. Well, man. No, the, the, the magic is gone once you know where the wires are. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's always other shows, so it keeps going. Oh, man. Um, we could go on all day, but, you know, please, I mean, thank you for one. Thank you so yes. much for being here again. Yes. For being on the show, for everything you do and support. Um, thank you. I want to say thank you for not only dropping the gems, the gems, but also recognizing your own bullshit. Because you said a few, <laughs> a few times during this, us chatting, you, you were like, look, I already know, man. So, so I, that is probably the, the self-awareness is one of the most important things. So thank yes. you for that. Word up, man. <laughs> I, uh, let's pray that never goes away. I'll <laughs> <laughs> we will let you know. <laughs> I, I, needed a, I, needed a, I needed a reality check. So uh, I appreciate you guys making content right now for everyone. Oh, and, thank uh, you. I know you're in the city, so stay safe and um, and trust your own gut. And uh, um, and I, I I I hope we all make it through okay. Definitely. Big uh, facts, Damon. We're life. <laughs> please let the internet um, know where they can find you at. You know, Twitter's, Instagram, anything you've got coming up that you can actually talk about right now. Or, she said no. You know, you know, that, <laughs> no. <laughs> don't don't find me. <laughs> 
I'm at Damon Lindelof. Uh, if you can spell that, <laughs> congratulations uh, on Instagram. Yeah. I'm not on Twitter uh, yeah. because uh, I need to yeah. retain my sanity. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working on a couple of things right now that I would not be running, but there are ideas that have come from other writers that I, I look at myself more as an offensive mm. lineman uh, that where I can block. So I don't want to be the coach. I don't want to be the quarterback, but I kind of feel like if there's a way that I can um, advance, advance someone else's vision. And so there's a couple of ideas that I think are, are pretty cool. And I'm wrestling with the, this question of, you know, what are the stories of 2022 mm-hmm. going to look like mm-hmm. in terms of pro- beginning mm-hmm. to process what what's happening right now? Are people going to want mm-hmm. escapism or are they going to want to look at it hard and understand it and process it? Um, and the answer is probably both at exactly yes. the same time, yeah. as, yes. uh, as, uh, as Cal <laughs> Abar would say. <laughs> um, uh, and so ideas that are not dealing with the moment that we're in right now, I just can't sink my teeth into. I need, I need some veggies mm. on the plate. So, uh, like I, but I, I, I also don't want to do what I've done before. You know, I think that, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, the faith versus reason, you know, free will, uh, you know, magical <laughs> Island stuff, um, got worked that, that out right of now. my system. End of the right work. End of the world is covered, kind of did end of the world. And, uh, but I think like, I think that the social constructs, you know, embedded in Watchmen, there's, that's still pretty fertile ground. And so there's a way to use genre as allegory and metaphor. Um, I'm really interested in technology um, right now. That's something that I feel like I, I spend a lot of time thinking and talking about, but it hasn't really been reflected in my work yet. Um, and so like, I think I asked myself the question of like, what would a season of black mirror look like as opposed to an anthology where you took, take a single black mirror episode and do 10 of them where you could really go deep with the idea and the characters. Um, so that, that's kind of what I'm thinking about and what I'm exploring Mm. more soon. Awesome. Love to hear it. Yeah, and if you do, uh, I will put my, I'll throw my ring in the hat for that because as much as I I, I love Black Mirror, Wait, but I you'll also throw your ring in the hat. Yeah, see, see, that's how <laughs> hype I am, right? That's how hype I am. My, this is, that's this even is how better. Hype is. Yeah, it is, right? Kobe, <laughs> hold on, I got this. aim it. Yeah, where's the ring? Got it. But no, that is like because I I love Black Mirror but I also hate it because I feel like it's a show that presents problems that were created by, you know, people like their creators of the show in some cases, but then it's like, "Oh, look at these problems that happened. Oh, it's terrible. Oh well." You know, and I hate I <laughs> hate I science. That. I hate science fiction like that. Like I need science fiction to either, you know, try and answer it or give me a solution or give me some hope about it. Like it just can't like be the, open-ended darkness. What's wrong like, with open-ended darkness? I mean, it, the world is open in the darkness. I don't need to be reminded of it. <laughs> it's entertaining. Metal no, faces in it. <laughs> no, no, we hear you, Damon. I'm, I'm actually really excited to hear that. And as a also a technology person, I'm really excited to see what mm-hmm. you come up with. And as Ben I mean said, I might have to throw my ring in the hat. Yes. <laughs> That's gonna happen. 
Um, again, thank you so much for joining us. Like this, this was incredible. And, you know, I hope that you stay safe out in LA and, and, and I hope you get some good food at, while we're going through this. I hope you've been cooking and trying try to do new things too. I have. I mean, Oh, awesome. When, when I say cooking, I'm heating stuff up. Oh. But, <laughs> like I've done a little bit of cooking. Okay, okay good. Good. Right. Just get out your comfort zone a little bit. Um, that being said, thank you guys so much for watching for all nerds. As usual, you can watch us all here, right here on Twitch, twitch.tv. That's it, right? Twitch.tv slash for all nerds. And thank you to all the Patreon fan fam, patreon.com slash for all nerds. And we will see you very soon. I'm Professor Brandon Obunu. This is Danny Lore. And this is Dita Ayala. My name's Genevieve King. This is Peter Ramsey. This is Kiro Karangawa. This is Lexi Alexander. This is Otto Asado. And you are listening to... I am listening to... I am listening to... I like to listen to... I'm listening to... I'm listening to... We are listening to... For All Nerds. We are back, and oh my God. I mean, I know you just heard that, so I don't need to say anymore. But yes, thank you, Damon Lindelof, for coming through the spaceship once again. I mean, I, I like, I've, I've said this in the break. I've said this to Tatiana so much. I honestly can't believe it. I'm a huge fan of this guy, as you probably heard through the interview. And just to be able to sit there and chill and talk with him like that is so wild to me. So thank you mm-hmm. so much, y'all. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening and supporting because, as we always say, it's because of y'all that we get to do these amazing things. Thank you to everyone out there on that Patreon.com slash For All Nerds for supporting the mission, allowing you to bring, allowing us to bring you this video that you just saw. If you were over there watching on Twitch, fire, isn't it? I mean, amazing. Look <laughs> at that. It's us sitting there talking to Damon Lindelof like it's a goddamn TV show in the middle of this insanity. Nothing but bomb content for y'all. Bars. Bars. Thank you. Yeah. That being said, speaking of Patreon, we're going to keep this net segment very short as we mm-hmm. bring you the geekly asked questions. The guac is extra. The guac is extra. Where we answer any and all questions usually, but you know, since we just brought you that fire bomb tent right there, we're going to keep this short and answer something from a longtime listener. Someone who I'm a huge fan of. Salute to you out there. You know, please, let's hear this from our Patreon subscriber and, you know, just friend of the show right here. Sure. This question comes from Winston Q. They write, hey, fan family. First, I just have to thank y'all for all you're doing to keep everyone sane, entertained, and most importantly, informed during these unprecedented times. Y'all are definitely a source of light right now. Thank you, Winston. That Thank really, you. really means a lot. Yeah, Seriously. for real. Because Winston, if y'all don't know this man, he is a source. They are a source of light themselves. Like they bring, they've sent us, you know, I, I can't even get into all that. But trust me, they are a supreme source yeah. of light. And I just want to shout them out for, you know, you keep doing that, man. For real. For real. The question goes, uh, because the Rona caused some productions to shut down abruptly, quite a few TV shows this season were left incomplete leaving cliffhangers where there might not have been or resulting in that 
horrible garbage juice of a finale that was Empire. Have any of your... <laughs> I didn't see it. Oh, no. I haven't watched Empire since season two. Me so either, but oh, no. Every, after they kicked... After Boo Boo Kitty uh, kicked homegirl off the roof, I, that was my last time Oh, watching. I missed that. Anyway, who kicked who? But, um... Boo Boo Kitty kicked, kicked the wife. Now, did Boo Boo Kitty do that? Who is Boo Boo Kitty? Do, don't worry about okay. it. It's not important. Uh, but, anyway, the question goes... All right, go ahead. I did not answer. Yep. Have any of your favorite shows been affected by the Rona? And are there any canceled shows from the past which ended on cliffhangers that you would love to see get a proper ending or a revival? For example, the top of mine will be Girlfriends, The Secret Circle, Good Christian Bells, Marvel's Agent Carter, and the 2011 Thundercats reboot. Mm. Thanks again for all the love y'all sent out into the world. Man, this Winston just hurt my heart. <laughs> Why you gotta bring that up? <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Now good. Yo, that 2011 Thundercats reboot. And that and that hurts to the breed. It makes me think of my man Combat Jack recipes. Cause me and him, like, for one, they used to play that shit at like the most random hours. You it was so hard to find. And it was like the most amazing show. It was so ill. And they like in the second season before they cut it off, they hinted at this large universe where they were going to bring back, like, maybe not Transformers, but all these other lesser-known toys from that era, like Silverhawks and cartoons and stuff. Like, Silverhawks was a dope cartoon. And they were going to link them all in, and then they canceled it. So that one, man, that hurts. Yeah. Yeah, that hurts. That shit was so ill. I heard the new one is actually good, though. Even though it's got that terrible animation style that I'm not effing with. I mean, not terrible, but it's not my style of animation. I've heard the new one is super fire. All right. Um, I'm still thinking, but like really off the top of my head, nothing popped up mm. just in terms of anything I love to see get a revival. No. What about I, things you know, that the, got uh, affected by the Rona? Anything? Nothing that I've watched has been affected by Rona. In fact, the stuff that I've watched have was already produced well before and then released during the Rona. So it's, it got a whole proper situation. The, the only thing I would say is stuff that got pushed forward or back because of this situation. So yeah. things like Candyman, the new Candyman, not being able to see that until September. Things like the new Wonder Woman being pushed. So like stuff like that, that now I won't be able to see for like another three September? to six months. <laughs> Yo. Right. And that's another thing. It ain't, it ain't happening. But all of this, like, honestly, here's what I think. 2020 is a dub. It's a flop. It's over. So. It's a big flop. It's Waterworld. It's, so and, hey, so that's my it's answer. The Thor Do I want the MCU? <laughs> that's my answer. Do you want? You want to know what I want to see? Have a revival? The year twenty twenty. <laughs> Bong. Bong. Big facts. Um. Uh. Other shows that I feel like I want to see come back or like didn't get her. I know the legendary one is Quantum Leap, where they just ended it on like I think like a title card. You know, where it's like Jack never made. Yeah. I mean, uh. Scott Bakula, whatever his their character's name is, uh, never made it home. They just cold blooded said it. Um, so that hurts. And Quantum Leap is such a phenomenal show. I've actually written several things that like always turn into Quantum Leap, and I'm like, I can't bite this. So that's about it. That you hurt my heart, Winston, with Thundercats. I completely forgot about that one. And something else. Oh, Peggy Carter. I mean, I'd always love to see, but I think Peggy Carter got a perfect ending in Endgame. But, you know, I'd love to see her kid more ass, too. So, yeah, I'd always love to see more Peggy Carter. That's another one. Definitely. All right, cool. 
Yeah. Uh, like we said, we're keeping it short and sweet this week. Thank you, Winston, for your question. And thank you to the Patreon fan fam. If you have a question, please hit us up on the interwebs at For All Nerds. You can also send us an email if you want some more privacy or if you have a longer question. Contact at foralnerds.com. And as mentioned, if you are a person on a special tier on Patreon, you get a guaranteed guac question anytime you ask it. So hit us up, patreon.com slash foralnerds. Get on that special tier and we got you. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Winston, for that great question. And if I think of any other shows that I'd love to see come back, I'll uh, put it up on Twitter. Um, we'll probably ask that question on Twitter, too. Probably get a million responses on that one. It's too many shows <laughs> too that people want to see come back. And speaking of shows that people wanted to see come back and did come back and that I'm dumb late to the game on is the what I would say is legendary Clone Wars. And mm. I finally finished the final season of the show. I mean... I think the last episode only came out like two weeks ago at most. So I'm not really that far behind because I caught up and then caught the last episode. I caught everything. I watched every episode, the movie, all that, several episodes twice. And overall, man, I loved it. I don't think it's like, I've heard people say it's like the best thing, you know, best Star Wars ever and all this. I'm like, no, it's very good. And I'm a, you know, Last Jedi fan. I'm also a Rogue One fan. I'm kind of still a fan of The Force Awakens. I'm not really a big fan at all of whatever that last movie was even called. I can barely remember the name of it. (laughs) But I think, and I'm a big fan of Mandalorian, but I think as a long-form series, Clone Wars proves what Mandalorian now is showing, that Star Wars can work in a long-form tale. And I think for animation, it opened my eyes so much because... As much as I've seen Japanese animation, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and I know how adult that can be, and even things like Toy Story or any Pixar film take on very adult themes, to see the level of action and violence plus the level of depth of these characters, you know, in this long-form series and see these character arts has inspired me so much because especially with the way Hollywood is moving right now, animation is going to become much more prominent. You're going to see a lot more animated series on Netflix, et cetera, all the big streaming services. Because people can't do regular production, but people can still do animation. So it just made me like, yo, I can write something like this and boom, just have an unlimited budget. You know, whatever your mind thinks of. And that's what is so ill about this because it takes what Star Wars is and something like Count Dooku from the prequels, right? Who Christopher Lee, incredible actor. I mean, one of the fucking finest. We know this. But at that point in his life, he's aged too much to really do these fight scenes well. But when you see Dooku handling Anakin and um, Obi-Wan at the same time <laughs> with only one lightsaber and one arm behind his back because he fights in the fencing style of old school mm-hmm. Jedis and is serving these clowns, you know what I mean? You can only do that in animation. And that I rewound that fight sequence so many times. And like everybody talks about Ahsoka versus... Darth Maul in the end. I mean, it's incredible. But there's so much of that throughout the whole series. There's so many great moments. Ahsoka Tano has just become my favorite character. I'm at, right as we get off the show, I'm about to go look up some t-shirts and cop a few. You know, it's serious, <laughs> fan folks. Boy. Yeah, fan pure fanboy. I love her. Like, I mean, she's just such a dope character. I really wish she had been incorporated into these movies. Even into a Jedi Fallen Order, she should really be the star of that game and not that boring-ass hero who we did yet mm-hmm. because she's such a dope character, and that's her arc, you know, is what Jedi Fallen Order is. Like, 
the Jedi who survives Order 66 and goes on. So, you know, and I'm disappointed in her use in other mediums, but in Clone Wars, it's fucking fantastic. And I'm really excited that, um, what's the name, Filion Day. Filion is taking more of a role in the larger Star Wars universe, in the live action stuff now, because okay. he has proven it. And for those who don't know, like The Mandalorian Season 2, there are so many elements from Clone Wars that are now going to come into it. And I'm so happy I watched this shit now because it's like, yes, now I'm going to understand everything. I get that reference. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say I understood that reference. That sounds like a resounding recommendation to watch Clone Wars. Yes, y'all. Hell yeah. I'm so mad I slept on it for so long just because I thought I'm not a big fan of computer, computer animation, but the level in computer animation done on this series is, you know, some of the finest I've seen. So. Nah, yeah, I'm I'm done. I'm probably gonna move on to Rebels next because I know Ahsoka turns up in that, and I got to see what happens to my girl. So I'm I'm gonna have to watch Rebels just because of that. But Clone Wars, that final season, those last four episodes, oh my god, those last four episodes, I wish I could have seen that on a big screen. Mm. Yeah, I like it was just it's epic level shit, you know. Like mm-hmm. I can't give anything away, but goddamn, and people. For those who know what I'm talking about, when my girl said, a jetpack, I don't need one. Fan Bros! Fan Bros!